we'll have our Bible reading now. So if you turn to the uh, Bibles in the seats there, that's Galatians chapter 1, reading verses 2 to 21. And we uh, take up Paul writing to the, his impassioned letter to the church in Galatia. So it's Galatians chapter 1, reading from verse 10. Chapter 2, verse 21. Am I, trying, am I now trying to win the approval of men or of God? Or am I trying to please men? If I were still trying to please men, I would not be a servant of Christ. I want you to know, brothers, that the gospel I preached is not something that man made up. I did not receive it from any man, nor was I taught it. Rather, I received it by revelation from Jesus Christ. For you have heard of my previous way of life in Judaism, how intensely I persecuted the church of God and tried to destroy it. I was advancing in Judaism beyond many Jews of my own age and was extremely zealous for the traditions of my fathers. But when God, who set me apart from birth and called me by his grace, was pleased to reveal his son in me so that I might preach him among the Gentiles, I did not consult any man, nor did I go up to Jerusalem to see those who were apostles before I was. But I went immediately into Arabia and later returned to Damascus. Then after three years, I went up to Jerusalem to get acquainted with Peter and stayed with him 15 days. I saw none of the other apostles, only James, the Lord's brother. I assure you before God that what I'm writing you is no lie. Later, I went to Syria and Cilicia. I was personally unknown to the churches of Judea that are in Christ. They only heard the report, the man who formerly persecuted us is now preaching the faith he once tried to destroy. And they praised God because of me. Fourteen years later, I went up again to Jerusalem, this time with Barnabas. I took Titus along also. I went in response to Revelation and set before them the gospel I preach among the Gentiles. But I did this privately to those who seemed to be leaders for fear that I was running and had run my race in vain. Yet not even Titus, who was with me, was compelled to be circumcised, even though he was a Greek. This matter arose because some false brothers had infiltrated our ranks to spy on the freedom we have in Christ Jesus and to make us slaves. We did not give in to them for a moment so that the truth of the gospel might remain with you. As for those who seem to be important, whatever they were makes no difference to me. God does not judge by external appearance. Those men added nothing to my message. 
On the contrary, they saw that I had been entrusted with the task of preaching the gospel to the Gentiles, just as Peter had been to the Jews. For God, who was at work in Peter as an apostle to the Jews, was also at work in my ministry as an apostle to the Gentiles. James, Peter and John, those reputed to be pillars, gave me and Barnabas the right hand of fellowship when they recognised the grace given to me. They agreed that we should go to the Gentiles and they to the Jews. All they asked was that we should continue to remember the poor, the very thing I had been eager to do. When Peter came to Antioch, I opposed him to his face because he was clearly in the wrong. Before certain men came from James, he used to eat with the Gentiles. But when they arrived, he began to draw back and separate himself from the Gentiles because he was afraid of those who belonged to the circumcision group. The other Jews joined him in his hypocrisy, so that by their hypocrisy, even Barnabas was led astray. When I saw that they were not acting in line with the truth of the gospel, I said to Peter in front of them all, you are a Jew, yet you live like a Gentile and not like a Jew. How is it then that you force Gentiles to follow Jewish customs? We who are Jews by birth and not Gentile sinners know that a man is not justified by observing the law but by faith in Jesus Christ. So we too have put our faith in Jesus Christ that we may be justified by faith and not by observing the law, because by observing the law, no one will be justified. If while we seek to be justified in Christ, it becomes evident that we ourselves are sinners, does that mean that Christ promotes sin? Absolutely not. If I rebuild what I destroyed, I prove that I am a lawbreaker. For through the law, I died to the law so that I might live for God. I have been crucified with Christ and I no longer live, but Christ lives in me. The life I live in the body I live by faith in the Son of God, who loved me and gave himself for me. I do not set aside the grace of God. For if righteousness could be gained through the law, Christ died for nothing. This is the word of the Lord. Morning, everyone. Let's pray. Uh, gracious Father, we pray uh, you would help us, help us to understand, help us to hear your word, encourage us, rebuke us, correct us, change us, mould us, shape us into who you want us to be in Christ Jesus. And I pray, keep me from error, we ask. Amen. Uh, we're up to the second week of Galatians, and as you know, Galatians is a, a fairly weighty and serious little book. It's We're noted that it's very passionate. Paul is very passionate about what's happening because he cares for his people 
in this region, whether it's a certain region or these people, these churches, he's really trying to watch out for what's happening because people have come and he's quite concerned. And he does speak about himself and he does have to put that ahead and front so that they can understand who he is because these others are detracting from him and saying what he isn't, they're saying. They're calling himself, who he is, into question. That's a very current thing. Uh, I don't know if it's always been, but it's certainly happening as we speak in studies, in New Testament studies, as people call that. You hear scholars, sometimes you hear people in the church say this very thing. They separate Paul from Jesus. And they like to do that because they want to paint him in a certain way and they want to paint the scriptures in a certain way. So this is a very current uh, issue. Uh, it's a historical revisionism. Have you ever heard of that term before? Historical revisionism where you, there's a history, we say there's this, and then they revise it. And they're saying, so the, it goes like this. They seek to say, well, the church was set up by Paul. Do people like organised religion, have you noticed? They don't like organised religion, do they? That's why I try to be as disorganised as possible, as you've probably noticed. That's a joke I've used twice now. So there you go. People don't like organised religion, so they want to blame it on the church and Paul. And what you do then is they don't like to say anything bad about Jesus. They find it hard to, uh, good. But they want to pull him apart and pull the church apart. And Paul is part of that. So even here, that's what's going on. People are saying, who is Paul? And so Paul has to defend himself and he defends himself so that his message is seen as fair dinkum. So that's today's title. Did you get that anywhere? Did we have that? Good, I haven't seen it. Fair dinkum. So I apologise for the Australian colloquialism, but uh, here it is. Fair dinkum. Is Paul the real deal? Is his message correct? And Paul has to defend himself. Uh, he doesn't have tickets on himself. He just needs to make sure that he states who he is. And the first thing he's accused of in verse 10 of chapter 1 is that he's a people pleaser. Am I now trying to win the approval of human beings or of God or am I trying to please people? If I was still trying to please people, I would not be a servant of Christ. Paul's detractors maybe have used some sort of reverse psychology. There, Paul was trying to make people, get people to follow Christ and make it easier. They don't have to do these things like follow the Lord, like we're saying we should or get circumcised. He's a people pleaser. And when you know what people pleasers are like, they tend to lack substance because their message becomes diluted, diluted and weak. 
And Paul retorts back that he's a servant of Christ, not a people pleaser. As you know, and as he knows, the gospel doesn't please many people at all. Uh, Borrowing from 1 Corinthians 1, verse 23, we preach Christ crucified, a stumbling block to Jews and foolishness to Gentiles. I used to uh, teach scripture in Winmalee High. It was a little while ago, but uh, I don't think much would have changed. I suppose uh, it was interesting when you uh, when you go from uh, primary scripture to high school scripture. In high school scripture, year seven, they would look at me and say, we don't really care what you say. It doesn't make any sense. It's stupid. How come? <laughs> and they'd ask all those questions of how, why, why, where does that, doesn't make sense. They didn't really want the answer. Uh, when you go and you sit in a cafe, people often don't want the answer, the gospel. If you want to be a people pleaser, you know what you do. You say things like, uh, all people are essentially good. You say things like, all religions are the same. You say things like, she'll be right, mate. Have you heard of that one? Yes, she'll be right, mate. Uh, Paul is not like that. His gospel has caused great offence. His life has been under threat constantly. He is a heathen to the Romans and a heretic to the Jew. Now you say heathen? Why is he a heathen to the Romans? So let me remind you, to not worship all Romans' God, Romans gods, the Roman Empire's gods, is to be a heathen. Even though he worshipped the one true God, to say that and not all the gods that are keeping up our thousand-year empire, you are a heathen, is, has not a people pleaser. Secondly, his message from verses 11 to 16 is fair dinkum. It's a fair dinkum message. The primary accusation is that Paul lacks authority. Uh, What's your favourite river in New South Wales? I know that surprises you, but rivers. Uh, Unfortunately, they've been a bit up at the moment, but uh, if you can Go with it. What's your favourite river? Do you have one? Richmond. The Richmond. Any others? The Darling. Is it New South Wales? I have no idea. The Lachlan. Oh, definitely, Joyce. Joyce, definitely. <laughs> no, none else is as good as the Lachlan. No one has said the Cooks. Why is that? What is the Cook's River like? Let me read a quotation. The Cook's River system is one of the most urbanised and degraded in Australia. There's a catchment to almost 400,000 people, I think this is out of date, with 130,000 dwellings and around 20,000 businesses. Where is its source? the Cook's River. Its source is an urban, urbanised area. That's a nice way of saying 
Its source is the street waste. Not a pretty sight. Have you ever looked at the Cooks River? No one sits at the side of the Cooks River and goes, isn't it wonderful to be here? Now, I haven't been around there for a while, Joyce. I know you're probably up and down on your way to the Lachlan. But <laughs> what is its problem? Its problem is that it's basically a sewerage outlet, that it's actually a wastewater disposal place. Its source, its source is not rain runoff from an unpolluted catchment, but the gutters around where it is, filled with cigarette butts, plastic bottles, etc. The source of where your thing comes from really matters. And Paul makes sure that they know and we know where his source is. His detractors have say all sorts of things. He's not been sent by Jerusalem, they say. And Paul is very, very clever. Have you heard about taking the high ground in an argument? He does that here. You're right, he says. Instead of defending himself, he takes up their accusation and turns it on his head. You're right. I don't come from Jerusalem. I hardly know those guys. I totally lack such human authority. Where does his authority come from? God himself, the Lord himself. Verse 11 and 12 of Galatians 1. I want you to know, brothers and sisters, that the gospel I preached is not of human origin. I did not receive it from any man, nor was I taught it. Rather, I received it by revelation from Jesus Christ. You're right, he says. I didn't get my message from anyone. I got it from Jesus. He gives a brief recital of his life in Jerusalem. And then he comes back to prior to knowing Jesus because I was someone, he says in verse 13 and 14, I was someone who hated and tried to stop this message. He couldn't have been more zealous to make sure the traditions of Judaism were stuck to and this new thing stopped. But in verse 15 and 16, God, who set me apart from my mother's womb, called me by grace, was pleased to reveal his son in me that I might preach him among the Gentiles. My immediate response was not to consult any human being. What's his source? Where does his authority come from? Not from any human, but from God himself. God stepped into my life, stopped me from what I was doing, and made sure I did something else, this, that I got it right. No human being has been consulted. I have it from the heavenly source. When it comes to Peter, which is our third point, Paul and Peter and the apostles, I barely know them. Verse 17, I did not go up to Jerusalem to see those who were apostles before I was, but I went into Arabia. Later I returned to Damascus. Three years I went up to Jerusalem to get acquainted with Peter and stayed with him 15 days. I saw no other apostles, only James, the Lord's brother. I assure you, 
before God that I'm writing you, what I'm writing you is no lie. I barely know, Peter. I barely know the, didn't see the other apostles, met James. Jesus chose me from birth to take this message. I am the persecutor, may good. I wanted to get it right 14 years later, so I went up to Jerusalem, chapter 2, verse 1. One of the issues that were there was circumcision. I hate saying that word publicly, to be honest, but it's here and I haven't got a choice, so here it is. Verse 3, Paul is a not just a theoretical guy, he's a practical guy. Verse 3, he takes Titus with him and he wasn't compelled to be circumcised. That's a strong word, isn't it? Compelled. What's another way of saying compelled? It's a nice way of saying forced, <laughs> made to. <laughs> Verse 4, this matter arose because some false believers had infiltrated our ranks to spy on the freedom we have in Christ Jesus and make us slaves. We did not give in to them for a moment so the truth of the gospel might be preserved. He'll pick that up again in chapter 6, verse 12. Those who want to impress people by means of the flesh are trying to compel you to be circumcised. At the meeting of Acts 15 in Jerusalem, you might remember, it was all about should the Gentiles be circumcised and made to follow the law. Paul was not satisfied, as I said, with those theoretical arguments. He takes along Titus. Titus is proof that you don't need to. It's not necessarily. It shows that in Galatia, as he speaks, it's a pressing issue and people are trying to make it a rule. The detractors want to enforce this on the people who are Gentiles amongst them. They're going to be compelled, made to do this, to be circumcised. Paul labels these detractors what he thinks of them. He calls them false brothers, pretenders, and literally they have, verse 4, smuggled in or sneaked in in the original. So here's an original sort of way to translate that. It's not very good because I did it. But on account of the secretly brought in, but on account of the secretly brought in false brothers who sneaked in to spy on the freedom of us who are in Christ. What he's saying is they're not fair uh, Here's another colloquialism. Sorry about that. They're off, they're off like a bucket of prawns in the sun. Nothing will fix their stench. Paul's detractors are a bunch of knockers who aren't, you, you asked for it, aren't within cooey of the real gospel. And so he says, do not give in to them for a moment in verse 9 so that the gospel might be preserved for you. Paul won't give in. Too much is riding on this. The preservation of the truth is at stake. And he shows that when he even takes on Peter, 
verse 11, I opposed him to his face because he stood condemned. A bunch of blokes have come from James, who say they're from James, to be honest, turned up and got Peter in verse 12 to draw back and separate themselves from the people that they were already mixing with because they were Gentiles. The Jewish people eat with Gentiles? The answer is no. He even puts it in quotations, sinful Gentiles. You don't have anything to do with them. You keep far away from them. They did this because the circumcision group, who I've always thought was a good name for a rock band, <laughs> the circumcision group, sorry to mention that again, they were afraid of them. They're obviously a formidable bunch, and they even put pressure on Peter and Barnabas, and they both relented, verse 13. Paul is that guy you want when this stuff is happening. He's tough. Verse 13, he won't relent. He fronts Peter to his face and says in verse 16, know that a person is not justified by what the works of the law, but by faith in Jesus Christ. There's an old saying, if you can't get out of the kitchen, if you can't stand the heat. The truth is Peter and Barnabas have not withstood the heat. I probably wouldn't have either. Paul doesn't give up. The kitchen is hot. Peter and Barnabas got out, but Paul has stayed true. Peter will repent. Barnabas will come back into fellowship with Paul. We know they had their problems. Paul strays true to that message. And what he wants to say this Reformation Day is faith alone, grace alone, Christ alone. Verse 19 to 21. For though I the law, I through the law I died to the law, so that I might live for God. I've been crucified with Christ, and I no longer live, but Christ lives in me. The life I now live. In the body, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. Do not set aside the grace of God, for if righteousness could be gained through the law, Christ died for nothing. Faith alone, grace alone, Christ alone. What is the source, we might say, in our day? We might add scripture alone and we might say glory to God alone. The five alones, do you know the Latin word for that? What's the Latin word for that? Anyone know what this is called normally? Someone knows. The five solas, you heard that before? If you ever hear that, five sola, that's what this means. Five pillars of wisdom, not five pillars of wisdom, no. The five solas of the Reformation, faith alone, grace alone, Christ alone, scripture alone, glory to God alone. Paul stood against that. It's the same today. It will always be this. We always people who challenge. Paul asserts this message from God 
is that it is faith alone, by Christ alone, through grace alone, scripture alone, glory to God alone. These are the things which are here today and we need to hold on to always. Where is this source? The source is from the, this message comes from God himself. Let's pray. Our gracious Father, we, uh, we come to uh, such an old book and such old tussles, yet it's all happening, still happening today. People questioning who Paul is, what he has done, how we are saved, how the message needs to be chaptered, changed, modernised, homogenised, whatever they change it to. Lord, we realise that this is a wonderful passage for us because we have, we no longer live, but Christ lives in us. We proclaim that as we live, we live by faith in the Son of God, our Lord Jesus, who came and loved us and gave himself for us. Lord, we treasure this message of Christ alone. We treasure that the scriptures have given to us and we are to hear them alone. Glory to God to you in all things. Glory to you alone. Grace alone. Christ alone. The faith you have given us alone. In you, no matter what we think, no matter what we say we need to do, we cling to the truth that this salvation of ours your work in our world is all yours, our glorious Father. It is your truth, your work, and you have done it in us. We rejoice in it. We pray that you would help us to continue in it and live for it each day, we pray. Amen.